Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Season 4 of the Epic Podcast. Edric Poon and Company, the podcast where anybody can inspire everybody. As you can see over here, we're in Mojo Ideas, an awesome studio that we've managed to rent out. And these guys are helping me to up the production value for you. Now, as we explore Season 4, we're themed how to be. We're going to be exploring job roles and positions that you've probably heard about, but you don't really know what they are. For example, how to be a voice coach or how to be a generational business owner. Now, we're going to be exploring this as we go on down the season. So thank you so much for listening or watching and continue to support the podcast. Jikoi. <laughs> Great Hello. start to the podcast. Now, um, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us at the Epic Podcast. First guest that we have in studio uh, this time around is Gary Coy. He himself, he's a filmmaker, director, actor, I don't know, food guy. You auditioned for MasterChef or something. I mean, check out his, just look for Gary Coy, G-A-R-Y-K-O-A-Y on youtube you're gonna find a lot of interesting content now this guy i mean seriously i'm not i know you don't like me to toot your horn at the same time you probably want me to you do, you do what you need to do for your podcast man. it's okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah but seriously man um like you're such a great film buff and uh thank you so much again for coming on to the podcast we're themed how to be i mean when we were talking about doing this you were like hey you know i'm kind of in a transition right now at, at first, I wanted you to come on as filmmaker. Yep, yep. And then uh, you're kind of in that transition of taking over a family business. You're such a big film buff, number one. And you've done everything from film all the way down to being the talent. Uh, yeah, yeah. Where is this passion coming from, first of all? Did you like love movies since you were three, four, when there was black and white? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, well... Yeah, I guess it, it all started like I've always been interested in arts and, and that kind of stuff. Like I was I was not a strong academia uh, child. Um, FYI, I was also born in Canada. So I, I got into acting. I got into music. I think like a lot of friends stuff. And uh, I think around 14, like I didn't really know where I wanted to go in life. Like I knew I liked acting. I think there was a little bit of like wanting to be famous as well who didn't want to i want to be a rock star you know well it's it's, it's really funny because today's like social media like everyone wants to be famous because it's just so obvious that you can but back then um there was movies and i think for the longest time i never it, it never dawned on me how fake or fictitious movies or videos w were um but i watched lord of the rings in my mind that was the the catalyst that sprung me into all of this like filmmaking stuff because it was the movie that kind of made me start thinking wait a minute that's that can't be real this is totally fake and i don't know why it never dawned on me earlier but that was the movie that that did um and then go going through school and stuff like i was doing painting photography like all these type of stuff uh and i was really quite good at it so i was a little bit like naturally gifted with drawing in, in the early days um and I thought, well, if I kind of think of what, it, what is the best or highest level of a lot of these art forms combined into one, one skill set, and that's like filmmaking. What an incredible medium to be able to uh, effectively change how people think or view things. And I felt like having that 
ability to do that would be an amazing, you know, skill set for the future. Uh, and, and that's kind of what spurred me into the whole filmmaking genre and career path for the last, what, 15, 20 years. Right. And you've been doing that again, like what you mentioned, 15, 20 years, just exploring, um, experimenting and of course, I would say executing as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had to work my way up from lots of different positions in the film world, right? So, I mean, for those who are not in the film world, it, it's not literally director, producers, and cinematographers, and, and camera people. Right. Uh, there's, like, sound guys, there's scripts, there's gaffers. There's, there's like, a myriad of, of positions in, in a proper film production crew where, you know, there's there's a lot of going on. It's, it's like a... I don't know. It's like a, it's a mess. Yeah. So, so how does one actually start up? Because let's say, for example, most of the listeners that we do have are actually in the corporate world, very white collar, yeah. I would say. So how does that one actually like get started into the film world? Do you start as, you know, um, the, 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 the coffee boy? Do you start off as, you know, the guy delivering lunch? Or do you, are you the boom guy holding the boom, you know, uh, <laughs> of the mic and just standing there for hours without, you know, and you can't make a sound? Well, I would say if, if, if you're already in the corporate world, let's say you're like 30 plus and you're looking to just get in. Don't. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't. It's, it's a rough ride. Um, but like, look, for those who are listening who are interested, I would, I would one, recommend you first understand what part of film do you enjoy because there's so many parts to it right you could be a script writer and a script writer doesn't mean you're a, a director and a director doesn't mean you you technically do like the finance and budget stuff right there's there's all sorts of roles with connecting pieces to the corporate world as well so like i, I find like if you started early in production enough and kind of learned some things and then let's say you're you're like me right now like I'm, I'm i'm leaving production in a way mm. but there's a lot of like skill sets that you can learn through the industry that are actually very applicable to the real world it's just the real world doesn't understand how their skill sets are applicable to the film world so i would say first look up what positions are you most interested in are you interested in sound foley are you interested in camera work lighting work are you interested in the story or directing so directing is just like you know, there's a little bit of technical stuff there, but it's right. it's really a lot of like story. Right. How do you build story? And and in the act of trying to build a story, it's just like you gotta know some stuff about camera angles. You gotta know some stuff about film theory. You gotta know some stuff about acting and character development and scripting, right? Um, but yeah, I, I would say research on what that is, and then from there. I think if you have enough passion, if you, if you have enough dedication to put in the hours, mm -hmm. I don't think any um, professional, you know, like, you know, a, a key grip or a DOP, if you like was able to kind of call them up, like, hey, just explain your situation and, and literally offer your time for free to come and learn. I don't think anyone is necessarily going to say no. Okay. They might not give you a good, like a big position, which is hence, you know, you're, you're the coffee boy or whatever, right? right? But I think you, you do need to get involved on a film set. Otherwise, you kind of just have to go to school and pay for it so that someone is willing to, to teach you. Because on set, it's... it's just fast. Everything fast. is go, go, go. Well, the, it's it's the most expensive part of any production, right? It's just like everything's set up already. From the camera work, you know, from behind the lens, you'd m much rather 
be the talent now. And, um, you know, just a quick anecdote. When I was at schooling, you know, everybody wanted to be famous, like what you said, right? They are, oh, yeah. I want to be on TV, right? When, when, <laughs> local, when TV was still like the thing. They'd find ways to become extras yes. on set, being a zombie, being a yeah. dead person, or yeah. being a passerby, buying something, you know? Yeah. They'd find all sorts of ways to do it, and that was enough for them. For you to get into the acting side, what was it that you wanted to be, and how far did you go with that? I didn't get very far, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sorry to bring that up, but uh, yeah, <laughs> no, it's okay. Uh, it's it's look, it's it started off with acting, but in Canada, like I'm obviously Asian, so back then the odds of you getting typecast was very high. Oh, so I didn't I didn't want to to represent my community in Canada as another typical typecast. Um, also. It doesn't pay well, like it, unless you have a house or, you know, a, a solid foundation, being extra is not going to pay you enough to succeed in life. Right. Uh, you're, you're probably going to be struggling with just making ends meet if you do that. And even if you get a couple of roles as an actor, you know, in, in a TV, if you get a full role on a TV spot, you'll probably be able to just make ends meet. Right. Right. Um, being an extra or, or even having like a, a sh- small commercial deal. Mm-hmm. Like if you're not famous, you're not going to get a big deal, right? You're going to get like the daily rate mm-hmm. and then a rate to just hold you away from other similar type commercials for a year. Right. Right. So you get a, a what do you call it? I think it's like a hold. I can't remember the term actually. It's Some been a while. fee, right? Yeah. It's, it's basically just to hold you away from doing another car commercials. Right. If you're in a car commercial, right? It just wouldn't make sense as an actor. Um, but so I thought about that really early days and I just figured, look, I don't think that's feasible in my life. Like I do need to earn money. Right. And I figured there's probably more opportunities in the production end. And I was already really good at camera stuff back then. I, d- I didn't know about the levels of camera work. Like literally this, the simplistic mind I had going into film school was, you know all those crazy things that happen on set, like the things that blow up or the the massive, you know, mountain scenes. I'm like, someone's got to be there filming that. I want to be that guy in Tropic Thunder. Yeah, like, <laughs> you know, like I want to be put in those situations to go do that. So it was really as as simple as that. Um, and then I'll I'll slowly figure out how to get in front of the camera after. Mm. Um, and then fast forward till today, like. I only only when I started doing film stuff and and getting more and more into production uh, is when directors or whoever would be missing a character. Literally, sometimes they just don't have enough people to be background actors or Mm. to just play like a small supporting role, like come by, say hi, bump my auntie or something. Um, So then they're like, hey, like you look... Like the you look the part. You look like someone could that could do that. I'm like okay, whatever. Just <laughs> you just get thrown in, right? Um, and, and I do that. And then when I eventually started directing, like literally, sometimes there just wouldn't be a budget to have this additional talent because that's an like an extra even like an extra eight hundred bucks for for the day for a talent, right? But just the production doesn't have that because mm. like it's still a business. It still needs to make money. So you know, producers would be like, no, you can't have that. If you want it, then. You're going to have to do it yourself. And I was like, for, for 
fine. <laughs> I would assume that's why Tarantino still goes into his own film sometimes, just to fill down characters and, and add levity to the, to, to the film. I, I think if I was ever at a level of where I dreamt of, like Tarantino, I would basically cast myself into the film. Hmm. Not like a main role, but like there, there is a little... There's, there's a funness with, I think, acting and talent and being mm. a talent, right? If you enjoy being in front of camera. Yep. Um, yeah, the, the whole idea of pretending to be someone else. And when you go through, uh, like, you know, acting school, like you do this thing called, like, character development or, mm. char- uh, what is it, like a character Bible. It's basically, like, you look at your script and then you just create this fictitious version of who you think this character is like what did they go through life and how you know and, and, you know develop their personality mm. and then you use that as the way you think about your character and and how he or she reacts to stuff uh and i think like just the concept of it is just so fascinating to me right and and um the you know this segues nicely into my next question one of your most popular videos right now on YouTube is actually the, your features on uh, Seth Louis. Oh, so yeah. how how in the world did you like get picked up as a food guy under uh, with Seth uh, with Seth? Okay, so it, I was when I was directing um, the company I was working with was actually like partners or is partners with Seth Louis bigger brand like at least they were investors of that. So he his company when he was just starting out like. He didn't even do videos at the time. He was just coming out from like his own blog mm-hmm. into having like you know a, a small script like writing team, um, and that and that's kind of where I met him. And back then we were just like, I'm like, who the heck is Seth Louis? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. Do we need to bleep that out by any chance? <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know who this guy is because like I'm not Singaporean. Like I, I, was, I was probably like maybe three years in into Singapore at this time, um, but it. People were telling me, like, oh, he's a blogger. He does food stuff. And all I remember was, like, he just gets, like, tons of free stuff from people all the time. I was like, this is so cool. Um, And we used to just drink in the office, right? And that's how I kind of got to know him. Um, And then when I left the company and and started working for another company, you know, we kept in touch here and there. Uh, And then I think he just put out, like, an open casting call. Like, he was looking for co-hosts for uh, one of his YouTube series, The the Food Finders. Mm. And, like, I've always loved eating food. Like, some of the background, uh, some context is, like, you know, I, I've worked in the food industry to kind of support myself to do free work in the film industry in Canada. So I, I have a, an affinity for food. Um, and I thought the concept of, like, you know, going around and just eating and being a talent for it and talking about it is, like, that's dece. It doesn't pay well. <laughs> so at le- but at least you won't be hungry. Oh, it's it's actually quite challenging. Why? Because you need to keep You eating? need to eat. Yeah. <laughs> Man, if you do like five hours straight of eating, like oh. the, the first day, it was a big learning uh, learning curve where it's just like, you know, you know, don't finish the food, which is so unnatural to me because I'm the type that like cleans the, the yeah. plate, right? Yeah, like the vacuum cleaner. Right? Yeah, like not a single grain of rice. Like that's just how I grew, grew up. Yeah. So doing first episode, he was like, yeah, you might want to not finish the plate. <laughs> and I was like, what? He's like, there's like four other stops that we got to hit. And uh, and then, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. So th- that's kind of, I went to an open casting call. We had a little bit of a, a relationship before already. So it kind of made it real easy to build that 
rep, like that relationship with him, like the on-screen um, relationship, and it kind of made it easy to just goof around on 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 camera with him. And I think that's it's it's been really fun. All right, we're gonna uh, take a short break, and when we come back, we're gonna explore Gary's affinity for food and the movement into the F&B industry as a family business owner. We'll be right back. Earlier on, we were talking about your foray and your love for film, editing, directing, everything, movie making, right? Or content production. Yeah. Uh, and of course, we touched on the affinity for food. You know, mm. it's, I'm not saying you're husky or anything. It's just... Getting you know, there. Get, getting there. Oh, well, okay. At least we're self-aware enough to admit <laughs> it. That's great. All jokes aside, right? Um, we're going to be going into a little bit more of a sensitive topic because you, you have to basically put all these things aside uh, because you were given a choice to stay where you are or take over a family business. And that seems to be a completely big transition, especially that you're going into F&B. Is, is that correct? Um, I wouldn't say I have to swallow it. It's, it's, uh, it, is, it is a choice. I was not forced to do it. And oh, I think that's great. good. Because uh, like, I do believe in Asian family business, sometimes it is expected. Anytime I feel something is like expected of you and it's not something you want, I think that's just not a great situation. But this is actually a, a personal choice and a choice that I'm very happy uh, and even privileged in a way to be able to get this opportunity. Awesome. And, and for our listeners out there, right, um, would you be able to tell them a little bit more about this business that you're taking over soon? Yeah, so we're, we're actually a manufacturing company for uh, our hero product which is uh, bazang, uh, zongzi, mm-hmm. um, the glutinous rice dumplings. Right. Inside got like the pork and the mushroom and the salted egg yolk. So we make a very Teochew Hokkien style, which is really interesting because like Benang Lang and Singaporeans, actually, if you look back in history enough, like we all kind of came from the same place. So like even though I grew up in Canada, if I just track back our, our, our history or our heritage, we, we all come from a, like one small area like right on in China, but like right next to Taiwan, right? Like Teochew area, Teochew province. Okay, cool. Uh, now is your chance to cut a quick promo for your business. Uh, that camera is yours or that camera is yours. Go. <laughs> 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 quick actor. Let's uh, go. Hey, everyone. If you've never tried <laughs> famous Penang Batang, uh, check out Feng Yi Dumplings in Penang. We actually have one store out in JB. So if you're Singaporean and you're looking to try this, actually, we have one outlet in JB in KSL Mall. Go check it out. We also don't just sell Batang. We also sell other things, but that is the hero product and we sell it year round. But coming this Dragon Boat season... Go down there, and before we get into Singapore, you can still buy it for ringgit, which is a third of the price. So, so do check it out, Fungi Dumplings. At the same time, I really want to get into the story of um, how this started. You were saying that it began with your grandmother. Yes. From what I know, because obviously this is before my time, uh, it started with they immigrated to Malaysia, Penang, the family. I never met my grandfather because he passed away. And that's basically the, the catalyst to this whole Batsang thing. They came in, uh, they had six kids. You know, th- this is like poverty time in, in my family. And the story goes, my grandfather stepped on a nail, a rusty nail or something, and he eventually got lockjaw. But the family was too poor to basically save his life. So he passed away. And here my grandma is, six kids, no money, 
uh, and, and no skills. But what she did know how to do was to make batang, um, and make it the way her mother taught her in from China. So basically, she made that and very traditional as it starts. It's like you spend five ringgit or something, buy the ingredients, you make a couple, you sell it for six. And we were lucky enough that I think the surrounding community really liked it. Uh, people bought it, and then eventually she she got more orders. Um, and then she got to a point where she could like hire, you know, some community members, you know, other grandmas, other aunties to kind of help. Uh, and, and that's kind of why I also feel such an affinity to to keep the heritage, to keep it going. Yeah, historically, it's just like we're fed by batang money. So once I kind of figured out that I was willingly ready to leave production or at least take a massive step back, I also saw that there, there was this massive opportunity to step into this business to then run it. I'm also one of the eldest in my generation in that family. I grew up relatively in the time where they weren't rich yet. So mm -hmm. I knew what it was like earlier in the days. I myself had to go through quite a lot of hardship as in like I'm a little bit more self-made than some of my younger cousins who had a lot more opportunities to to go overseas and study and you know not, not a little have bit more privileged in that yeah sense, right? yeah i mean i i'm not using that in a derogatory or you know uh, uh, taking any assumptions or taking the wind out of the sails but really it is in a position of privilege to be able to do so yeah in in hokkien they're like like you've never tasted bitter before <laughs> so i i grew up in the generation where i have tasted bitter and uh i think from my family standpoint it's like they give me a lot of respect for being able to figure that out for myself mm. and also done so without, you know, leveraging a lot of their finances. Mm. I, like my, my family doesn't have a right. lot to to. So to what exactly with. is going to be your so-called position? I mean, as an entrepreneur, you know, you do everything and anything. Uh, yeah. But it, if you are to implement a corporate structure into Fungi Dumplings, right, what would be your role in this case? Well, the way we, we worked it out is like, I'm just going to step in as a general manager at first. Uh, I definitely don't want to come in and, and, you know, just stir things up, right? Yeah, like piss all over everyone's stuff. Like the company <laughs> is functioning without me for like 49 years. So um, the general manager position is really a step in, start learning things from the ground up. And I have this... Uh, brain capacity i guess like I, I love looking at problems like I'm, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist uh and i'm also lazy enough that i want to solve things so i don't have to work hard mm -hmm. uh i don't know i don't know. something like steve Jobs said once right like hire the laziest person because they'll figure out the easiest way to do things something along <laughs> those lines. it was either steve Jobs or bill gates or someone and i was like it, it kind of like clicked on me it's like oh i actually really have that characteristics i love complaining uh, I know it's not a good character to have, but like I've learned to take my complaints or the ability to see the complaints, but also then find better, more effective solutions for it. Yeah, going back to your original question of like, what am I going to do? It's like, I'm, I'm going to be looking at operations. I'm going to be looking at the back ends. I want to make sure that um, from our family business standpoint, where we used to manufacture the products for OEM sales, um, we're actually already building out our own retail outlets, our own brand. So we're actually stopping small OEM sales mm. to, you know, hawker stores and stuff like that. Yep. It's just like you will no longer be able to buy them. We have some it's like, you know, very old time legacy clients, like where their livelihoods depend on our 
mm-hmm. manufacturing. So we will keep those relationships, but we're not looking to, to add more to that one. Right. So we're going to start building our own retail. So B2C and B2B. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically building the foundational blocks of what I feel is required to take this from a family business mm-hmm. uh, to a business with families include with our family included right. in it. Your podcast that you were doing, yeah. uh, CEOs Confess, and I'm sure that you're going to be able to pick up a lot of information uh, from that. Now, one thing I do want to ask as well, with so much on your plate, what's something that has been keeping you up at night regarding this? To be honest, nothing. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't tell if you're super confident or you don't give a shit. I don't. I can't really tell. Uh, I th- I think it's it's a little bit of both, right? I I'm definitely. I mean, there's a there's a financial setback that keeps me up at night, mm. but luckily enough, I was able to kind of make a certain amount of savings that allow me some bandwidth. Um, but I think over the years, I've learned to not overdwell on things because I'm fairly confident that whatever problems come my way, I will be able to solve it Mm. or figure it out. I don't know exactly what those problems are. I have an inkling on what they can be, um, but I'm not going to lose sleep over it now. And even before I got the job, like I wasn't just handed the job. I made sure my family knew that I wanted to come in from a very business standpoint. And just like any business, I was like, I want to be interviewed. I want to present to you guys, like, what are my findings? My, you know, like phase one, phase two, phase three. Do you agree? And so forth. And then, and then, you know, do the whole corporate thing. Cause I wanted them to get used to the idea that just because we're a family doesn't mean that the, f- the family aspect of this controls the business. There are several family businesses actually that are undergoing this particular change into the corporate structure. And one of the trickiest things that uh, I've heard so far is that that resistance to bringing outsiders in. uh, And all of a sudden, because it shakes things up, change becomes a big challenge. And um, even if it may not be change for you, you're going to be bringing that change. And the tricky part is managing the family members uh, to do that. Yes. But I think it's, it's, it's easy. It may be a little bit easier for me because I am still technically a family member. Mm-hmm. So I think it's less hard of a pill to swallow. It's yep. still a difficult pill to swallow. But as I said in my presentation, if this isn't solved today, when no one wants to take responsibility, you're eventually going to have to sell the company. I think a lot of those family businesses that, you know, someone worked real hard to keep that alive, right? And then all of a sudden, one generation doesn't want to take it up. And by all means, like maybe people don't want to, and that's fine, right? People want to follow their passions. But they, they go through that struggle because like they don't want to relinquish control in some way. And then when they don't, when they don't and they, there's no other option, then they try to sell. But then when they try to sell and you as a business have nothing apart from like, let's say like your recipe, the value of your recipe and your legacy, a company is like, they may or may not value that. And their payout is maybe nothing. Hmm. It could be something, but it could also be completely nothing. Right. Because, uh, yeah, exactly. When you start selling your business, then, well, you enter the corporate space and the corporate business is going to look at it as an investment. And if you have nothing apart from the recipe, it's like I'll pay for the recipe, but your your business isn't worth a million dollars. Right. Um, so before that happens, it's like 
I'll be able to come in and at least hopefully on top of the the recipes, the legacy, the brand and all this type of stuff, it's like set systems in place, help build the brand. Like one thing that we really like right now is is visibility online. Right? Everyone locally, if you ask, is like, oh, oh, you are funky. You know, like they mm-hmm. they know. But it's like outside of that, outside of Penang, it's it's not like people know necessarily. It's right. it's word of mouth. It's it's a very old traditional way of mm-hmm. business and marketing. Oh. Um, Sounds like there's going to be a short film being made on your end once, oh, uh, for Fong Yi. Mate, when I was still like directing in, in my spare time, I, I, I like drafted documentary ideas. Like I wanted to build this story of, it is a little bit self uh, <laughs> self-glorifying yeah right? yeah but it was like the documentary was like supposed to kind of follow my life through the choices of taking the 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 career choice of passion which is filmmaking and then having to struggle with the idea of duty and and and, and family mm. right and the documentary would just kind of follow me in a way through those struggles and at that time like i was debating whether i do jump into this family again they never forced me but like that was an option or do I continue to struggle it out in Singapore to pursue this passion mm. of filmmaking? Uh, and I, I guess at the end of that documentary, it would be kind of like, un, there wouldn't be an answer. And the way I saw it as, as a documentary is like, I wanted audiences to know very similarly to how I felt back then is how unforgiving that choice is. The, the, the kind of, weighing out these two obviously very reasonable choices, mm-hmm. but having to be stuck in the middle. Right. Right. Like, what do you want to do? Yeah. Do you actually want to help your family? Which is like, yeah, that's, that's it's, probably a good thing mm-hmm. to do. Or do you actually want to do what you want to do as well? Which is not that. Right. I, I see that as an interactive film on Netflix next. Because, <laughs> so would you choose Feng Yi or would you choose filmmaking? Well, <laughs> and, and that's what's cool about it right now. It's like six years later, it's just like I've I've had that taste of my career. I've I've had that opportunity to do that. And and now I feel like there's such a there's so much more potential there. Like I, I've always been interested in business and I've always been interested in food. Mm. But I definitely wanted to at least scratch that itch, that 14 year old version of me who watched Lord of the Rings, mm. you know, that passion. Like I wanted to scratch that itch first. Right. And then now that I have and now that I'm like, you know, I want that to just go back to being a hobby because after doing what your passion is for money, you do, uh, I feel at least you do start to resent it. Right. Okay. And uh, speaking of itches, there is an itch I need to scratch and we're going to take a short break so that I can scratch this off camera. We'll be right back after these messages. (laughs) And we are back now. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, as you know, the way that we always end off every podcast, right, is with the Epic Questionnaire. Um, So, Gary, I'm not sure if you've done this before, but uh, we've got 10 questions. This is going to be rapid fire. uh, And it's the easiest way for anybody to get to know you. Okay. Okay. So are you ready? I am. I will try to keep it short and not tell a story. (laughs) Okay, great. Uh, Question number one. One word you love the most. Food. One word that you truly dislike. Expectations. If you could have a conversation with one person, fictional, non-fictional, dead or alive, who would that be? Steve Jobs. What, what do you say to yourself in the, morning, uh, in the mirror every morning? God, you're getting fat. <laughs> 
name one superpower that you'd like to have. I think the ability to read minds. Favorite dish to eat? Oh, that one difficult, yeah. Mm. Uh, favorite dish to eat? Bazango. <laughs> favorite travel spot or the next travel spot that you want to go to? I would really like to visit Italy. Something in the arts that you've always wanted to do, but yet to do so. Be a full-time actor. What does retirement look like to you? It doesn't. I don't plan to retire ever. How do you want to be remembered? What's your legacy? You know, I want to be kind of remembered in a way that helps inspire people the way I feel some of the people that I look up to uh, inspire me. So what that actually is, is, is I don't know. It's, it's hard to say currently right now on the spot, but it, it is along the lines of like being a good family man, uh, having helped a lot of people, being, you know, being an inspire, inspiring individual that helped a lot of people. Mm, that's fantastic. Well, uh, congratulations. You've passed. You've succeeded. Cleared all 10 real quick. And ladies and gentlemen, that is the Epic Podcast with me, Edric, as well as our wonderful guest, Gary. So do remember to check out Fungi Dumplings. If you're in Singapore, head down to KSL and go get yours. And I'm really looking forward to looking at it, getting that documentary. <laughs> do you want to make it? <laughs> no. Oh, I, I could play a character actor over there, like one of those people just fumbling with bachan. <laughs> maybe one day I'll, I'll congregate all of my random stuff throughout the years and maybe it, it's possible. It, it's, yeah, it's an idea. All but thank, right. you, thank you for, for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much, Gary. And that's a wrap. We'll see you in the next episode of the Epic Podcast. Bye, everyone.